I've just about had enough of you. For what use is such a plan? A memory out of tears! Overwhelming, am I not? Well, of course I exist. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and subtongues. Dialects and subtongues. Hello and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots. I'm Matt Brown. And I'm Stephen Murray. And the point of this incredible podcast is that, Stephen, you discovered, um, like a, I don't know, like a kind of crazed archaeologist uncovering the bones of old films, you discovered that there was a 50-year wasteland between the film's uh, Metropolis in 1927 and the film Star Wars in 1977. And in that wasteland, there are no good robots in movies. No, it's just a lot of shit robots wandering around, bumping into each other. <laughs> uh, we are still in the Golden Age. This is the Golden Age Part 2. We're in the mid-1930s. Uh, we're coming out of the Great Depression. Uh, hooray, but fascism is on the rise in Europe. Boo. <laughs> Potted history with sound effects. <laughs> um, we also found out last week that people go would go to the movies in the 1930s and watch A movies and B movies and serials, and that is what we're looking at today. More serials. In the last episode, we looked at The Vanishing Shadow and The Phantom Empire, and in this episode, we are going to be taking a look at the mother of all Hollywood serials in the 1930s, Flash Gordon, plus a Flash Gordon wannabe, called The Undersea Kingdom. But before we chat about any serials, I just want to address something, Stephen Murray, that we talked about in the last episode. Now, you are a senior lecturer in film, TV and journalism at Teesside University, correct? Correct. Correct. And you brought a quote to the table that you'd found uh, by a man called Steve Carper, who had written in an essay called... The Monster and the Ape. It's something that we linked to in the in the last episode show notes, so you can go and see it there if you want to. There was a quote that he said, and the quote is, A true oddity in the history of robots is the complete absence of robot films in American cinema before the 1950s. By my count, studios made exactly zero full-length feature films with a major robot character. Now, in the last episode, we said that he was wrong because the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz in 1939 is a major robot character in a feature film but then I went and read Steve Carper's article and Steve Carper essentially uses robots in a different way to when we say robots so when we say robots we mean robots but also androids that are they're robots that look like people aren't they yeah that's them and we also mean cyborgs how would you define a cyborg a cyborg is somebody who's part human, part machine. Okay. Robocop is the ultimate cyborg. And we yeah. also, when we say robots, we mean robots, like R2-D2. And we yeah. also mean AI as well, even though we've never we covered AI, but we will do at some point. So we mean all of those things. But Steve Carper only means actual robots. So in that sense, I'd say we're both right, aren't we? Yeah, of course we are. Okay, so on with today's episode... And let's get stuck into Flash Gordon. There are rumours that a million dollars was spent on this. Really? Yeah, but there's more conservative 
figures $10. of three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Given that a lot of sequences in there uh, and a lot of the sets are taken from other movies. So Flash Gordon, the the serial starring Buster Crab, an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, the, he was the Olympic swimmer, and he wanted to get into to movies, and he did quite a lot of stuff, didn't he? Because he, I yeah, mean, he did. He, yeah. did he did a few series of Flash Gordon, and then became Buck Rogers by the end Buck of Rogers. the decade. He's very easy on the eye. He is very easy, a very handsome man, yeah. um, and again. This really intrigued me because I'm I'm such a big fan of the 1980 film Flash Gordon. As a kid, it was just in that sort of real sweet spot for me where uh, I think I taped it off the telly. We'd got a video recorder for the first time and it was just a film that I watched endlessly over and over and over again. Could quote it just almost like the whole film, you know. Um, still enjoy watching it for nostalgia's sake. And this, the, 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 um, the storyline is very, very close to... Of the storyline of the 1936 series is pretty close, which I'm assuming is because it comes from the comics. Yes, comics, uh, came, comics came first, and then the serial came uh, after that, following pretty closely the plot of the comics, which essentially yeah, is yeah. that um, there is a, a planet heading straight for Earth, collision course! Um, who can save the world? Uh, Flash Gordon, Dale Arden, and uh, Hans Zarkov go up and encounter... Ming the Merciless, the leader of the people on the planet Mongo. Mongo. Now, you mentioned earlier about uh, Flash Gordon's pants. Yes. But they're not, it's not just him, is it? Because uh, no. Professor Zarkov has oh to wear the God, pants. Oh, my God, his teeny tiny little pants. <laughs> <laughs> Those are ridiculous. They are he ridiculous, gets, aren't they? They get captured by Ming, and Zarkov instantly gets sent to, to um, Ming's laboratory and then he visits him later on there's a scene where uh, Ming's at the top of these stairs and then you pan down and you see Zarkov and he's just got the tiniest pants on yeah little shorts they're super hot pants aren't they they are super hot pants and uh I'm sure there's um again it's it's I've not seen it in about a week or so but I'm sure there's a scene where Flash Gordon kind of gets into a scrape and has to change and then changes into another pair of hot pants yeah, he finds that he, all of his uh, jodhpurs and his shirt get torn because he gets in so many scrapes and fights with, with yeah. uh, Ming's men. Yeah. That um, Ming's daughter squirrels him away in this spaceship and while she's away, he finds an outfit in the spaceship which he just puts on, which is conveniently his... Well, is it his size? I think it might be his size smaller. I mean, the special you know, effects are extraordinary in this. Yeah. They are actually. I can see why they spent upwards of three hundred thousand dollars. They use lizards, and they use. uh, It's not traveling mat. It's just a double exposure, so they can put in um, people next to these giant lizards. Yeah. So pretty. It's an in-camera trick. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, they're actual lizards that they use, and then just they they put tiny little models next to them, and yeah. They put like things on their backs and yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it is incredibly campy. Oh, very. So the robots <laughs> in Flash Gordon. Or are they? Or are they? It's quite hard to 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 sort of know. The the scene that, that I remember seeing them in was where they are being led by somebody who is a person who's in armor, 
who's like tight, the, tight armor, tight, tight armor, tight armor, who's like the the boss of the the military or something. He's like a general or something like that, isn't he? And he's, he, he's Ming's major general. Oh, that sounds it. like Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> I am the very model of Miss Modern Major General. I must not anger Ming because his loyalty is ephemeral. I wear tight-fitting armor, making me look quite historical. But thankfully not pants like Flash that make him look hysterical. The robots, or not robots, are with him. And we th- it's hard to know because they've got basically got buckets on their heads. So it's very difficult to know whether or not they're they're people they're, or whether they're, they're like robots. Leather leather fetish robots. They look <laughs> like they're made out of leather. The only comparison I can make, if anybody's ever seen Barbarella, yeah, the robots in Barbarella are, are kind of similar in shade and and feel. Um, they look leathery. So I've got I found something online about <clears throat> robots in in um, Flash Gordon. So it says, Ming the Merciless himself has advanced robot technology. I think this is talking about the comics. Developed by his servants at the Cathedral of Knowledge, including an advanced, completely self-operating mobile unit, which needs no operator, but could be controlled by Ming himself telepathically. And then it says, the 1936 television serial show, that's, that's what we're talking about, shows a primitive robot as a servant of Ming. And then right. in the 1938 sequel, Ming already controls an entire army of advanced humanoid robot soldiers. So I would say that I think that they are robots, those. Right, okay. We're um, going with the fact that they're leathery the fetish robots. Yeah. And it says in the 1979 animated series, The New Adventures of Flash Gordon, they, they're, they're golden robots and they're called the Metal Men. And they are, right. I mean, in, in this they are, they are Metal Men, aren't they? Like, I suppose like um, fetish leather Metal Men. But again, they are—they're just again so ineffective. Yeah. You might—I mean, why have them? You might just as well have two blokes wearing a suit of armor, and all that all they seem to—they're sort of their advanced technology is that they've got like a strange rifle that seems to be covered in tin foil. The the laser animation in it is really quite good, actually. Okay, when they shoot lasers, that is that is very good. It's on point. It actually hits the target and looks like it's coming straight out of the gun. So that is quite good. All right, we'll give them that. But they just they can be picked up by Flash Gordon. Yeah. Which is which is what he does to everybody. He just picks everybody up and throws them. (laughs) It's his his signature move. Well, which also sort of leads into the last film serial that we're going to chat about called which is called Undersea Kingdom. Undersea Kingdom essentially was a, a rival studio trying to uh, c- compete with the success of Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon was obviously a, a smash hit, immediate smash hit. And so this rival studio pumped out Undersea Kingdom with the, a lead character who's 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 called Crash. <laughs> Crash Carrigan. Crash Carrigan. Now Crash Carrigan is a wrestler in the or he's not he's he, he's in the navy, isn't he? But he's a champ yeah. wrestler. And champ at everything. He's champ at everything, but he's very very good at wrestling. And uh, there's a scene at the beginning. Again, it's pretty... Well, I mean, it's just there's an awful lot of naked flesh. Naked, it's, yeah. There's a lot of man-on-man action, isn't there, it's in the, in the wrestling It's very arena. homoerotic. But that's how Crash uh, deals with all of the, the robots and, and enemies that he encounters. He just rests. They just always wrestle. <laughs> it's like, stop wrestling, man. He defeats them with his homoeroticism. <laughs> <laughs> And they stay defeated. But there's some 
I mean, again, <clears throat> awful robots in this uh, series. I think this robot is one of the ones that becomes a bit beloved. By who? By by the audience at the time and by a guy. What he does is he, he finds robots from Hollywood and he fixes them. Or if he can't find the uh, original robots, what he does is he re- completely recreates them from scratch. Uh, he's called Fred Barton. He's recreated robots like Tobor the Great, uh, B9 robot from um, Lost in Space, Target Earth robot, uh, and Maria from from uh, Metropolis. It cast the Volkite slightly differently for me now that you've said that because, I mean, they are so awful, these robots, oh. that they are... Um, they are very easily defeated by throwing a chair at at them. There's a scene this, this where is sadly true. There's a scene where Crash is trying to escape from a, an advancing sort of horde of these Volkite robots, and he throws a chair and they fall over. And essentially, they're like turtles once they fall over, aren't they? They just can't can't do anything, can't get up. But but now I'm looking at the 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 image of them. I can see that there is a sl- there is a slight cuteness to them. I think they feel they feel slightly cuter, certainly than the ones in the Phantom Empire. Definitely the ones in Flash Gordon. Um, they they sort of they remind me of a post box. They are ex- almost exactly the same size as that, and they've got a slit in like like a letterbox slit. Um, I don't quite know why they've got that. Presumably for the man inside to to see out of. Um, and they they're silver. Uh, they've got lots of rivets all over them, and then there's tubes coming out of the the body of the post box, and then into the sort of the 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 top of the of the uh, post box. Standard crab claw hands. Crab claw hands, and then big clumpy feet. I can see maybe how the look of them would be actually quite interesting, and quite it would it would make you sort of fall in love with them a little bit, possibly. The style of that robot was recreated in Star Trek Voyager, a holodeck program called Bride of Chaotica. Right. And it's a, it's an homage to these series. Uh, it's kind of a mixture between Undersea Kingdom and uh, Flash Gordon. So they're in, they, they're in, they're, they're in that, in that series in Voyager. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Paris creates it as, as a, is is leisure time. And the robot in it is the one from, um, Undersea Kingdom, which was repurposed in in uh, Doctor Satan. Um, we're sort of doing that, aren't we? I suppose are we? We're sort of using this podcast as our hobby holiday. Yeah, yeah, we are recreating yeah. the robots of the nineteen thirties. We are. We, we are. We're, we're doing that. We're digging them back up again. We are. Um, a couple of things I'd like to say about Undersea Kingdom is that the director, who was a known as B. Reeves Eason. Uh, the B apparently in this stands for breezy um, and he gets the name breezy for his breezy attitudes towards safety. Um, <laughs> there's a bit, there's a, sort of an awful bit. He was one of the people who worked on the charge of the light brigade in 1936. And and uh, there's a, a bit here on, on his Wikipedia page that says so many horses were killed or injured so severely that they had to be euthanized that both the public and Hollywood itself were outraged, resulting in the selection of the American Humane Society by the beleaguered studios to provide representatives on the sets of all films using animals 
to ensure their safety. So this might be the the beginning of those, you know, those um, the slates that come up at the beginning of films that say no no animals were harmed during the process of this film. Might be the result of B. Reeves Eason, who directed Under Sea Kingdom, because well, I mean, some good came out of the breezy. <laughs> some good came out of breezy. Interesting. We were talking about the um, the Hayes Code that they were scandalised by <laughs> by sort of sex and nudity and violence, but um, animal slaughter absolutely oh, yeah. fine. No problem with that. The other thing that I think it's worth mentioning here um, is. When when you watch certainly Flash Gordon and Undersea Kingdom, which was the the sort of the you know the 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 rival to Flash Gordon, you can't help but notice that there is uh, sort of like a a thread of racism marbling its way through both of these series. Uh, and I asked a friend of mine, um, Darren Chetty, who I'm very grateful for, he he sent me an article called "The Yellow Peril." Chinese representations in Hollywood films. And that article says that cultural stereotypings has always been a problem for ethnic groups in the United States. And one of the main means of spreading these stereotypes to the general population has been through popular media. Hollywood's racism can be seen in the fact that up to, the, up to World War II, the representation of all Asians was commonly taken from Chinese stereotypes and anti-Chinese bias translated into anti-Asian bias. Rather than acknowledge the difference between Asians, American films often borrowed haphazardly from all cultures, forming one homogenous identity. The 1930s saw a a gradual shift in the perception of Chinese in motion pictures, although racial segregation continued to exist in the United States. The number of Chinese roles began to rise. In many cases, they were depicted as cruel and sinister villains, such as Ming the Merciless in the Flash Gordon series, or the character Fu Manchu in the Fu Manchu series, who plots to conquer the world. Ming is granted supernatural powers in order to execute his diabolical plan and capture the female lead in order to have his way with her. Such mystical abilities are normally assigned to Chinese villains in order to explain their influence, reflecting bewilderment on the part of white men who face an Asian competitor. Now, what I'll do is, this is from 2005, um, this article, The Yellow Peril, Chinese representations in Hollywood films. I will link, put a link to this in the show notes so you can have a read of it if you want to. It's really interesting, but it is, it, it is so obvious um, that, you know, Ming, <laughs> Ming the Merciless is a Chinese stereotype in the way that Unger Khan, um, played by Monty Blue in Undersea Kingdom, is an Asian stereotype as well. And I suppose it's just, I mean, they really did copy it beat for beat, didn't they? Yeah, um, they did. Undersea Kingdom, you've got Crash instead of Flash. You've got Unger Khan instead of Ming the Merciless. It's all there. So it's time for us to uh, say whether we think that the robots in Flash Gordon and the robots in Undersea Kingdom are shit or not. I've been trying to think of ways in which we could do this in a sort of, in a quite a methodical fashion. So here's what I think. We give, we give them a score out of 10 for how they look, their design. We give them a score out of 10 for the, their ability to perform the task that they're de- designed for. Uh, and we give them a score out of 10 whether we, whether we like them or not, whether we love them or not. Okay. Okay. So out of 10, let's go for the Flash Gordon robots, the leather fetish robots. What would you give them for how they look? Is 10 good or bad? 10 would be good. One. Yeah. I mean, I'm 
I sort of think that one one's too much. Is it generous? <laughs> it's too generous. <laughs> I mean, they are they are they're just awful, aren't they? They just yeah. look like men wearing very very tight leather armor. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's mesmerizing, but you can't give a point for mesmerism. <laughs> well, let's give them one point, shall we? Out of ten. Okay. Okay. Now, what about their ability to perform the task they're designed for? About two. I mean, again, I think you're being very generous with these scores. I mean, they're designed to 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 go and capture Flash and protect Ming and do all all those other things that guards do. And they, I mean, Flash just wrestles them. He does actually. He throws them around an awful (laughs) lot. He's a slippery character. (laughs) So maybe should we give him one? All right, one. So one for for that. Okay, so they've got a, t- a total so far of two out of, <laughs> of 20. And then what about, uh, how do you feel about them? Do you like them? Do you not like them? Well, they are leathery. They are leathery, yeah, you're right. And I, feel, I always feel them. a bit sorry for them because they're sort of, they're, they're labouring under a, a sort of totalitarian regime, aren't they? They are. Um Oh, you know I'm going to err on the side of one. <laughs> okay, so they've got they've got three out of thirty, um, and let's just check whether they get their Asimov badge or not. Do they uh, obey Asimov's three laws of robotics? A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. They well, they don't because they they're don't. shit. They're not capable of hanging on to anything. All right. Okay. Well, let's say they pass that one then. A robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. They don't do that, do they? No. Um, and a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with first or second laws. I don't think I'm able to answer that for, for the Flash Gordon robots. No, they I, injure themselves considerably <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I think because they don't obey one of the laws, then they, they can't get their Asimov badge. No, no so Asimov badge. They are definitely shit robots. What about the Undersea Kingdom robots? So first of all, the first criteria, uh, criteria is their, their looks. What do we give them for the way they look? I'm going to go for three. There is something about them, isn't there, that, that makes, yeah. that, that endears you to them although they still do look like a water heater yeah or a, a box of tissues that's been spray, <laughs> sprayed <laughs> they look like they've been made by someone by someone on blue peter don't they they look like a blue peter make they look like something that's made by somebody who's watching blue peter <laughs> okay how about their ability to perform the task they're designed for oh one again one yeah um well, when you're when you're stopped in your tracks by a chair, then yeah. I mean that's no good. Uh, do drive a juggernaut. That's quite cool. Yeah. That, okay. Well, let's should we give them two? Two. Let's okay. go for two. So they've got five so far. And what do we? How do we feel about them? Do we love them? Kind of, but like maybe three again. Three. Okay. So they've got uh, eight out of thirty. So. I mean, that's still pretty shit, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. And they also fail to get their Asimov badge because of the trying to harm humans situation. Okay, so we've done Flash Gordon. We've done Undersea Kingdom. uh, We're motoring through the serials of the 1930s. Uh, In the next episode, we are going to be tackling uh, a very strange robot in The Phantom Creeps, another serial of the 1930s. And we're going to be looking at a biggie. Maybe our first biggie, the Tin Man. 
from the Wizard of Oz. So until next time, until we meet again, goodbye. Goodbye. I am the very model of Miss Modern Major General. I must not anger Ming because his loyalty is ephemeral. I wear tight-fitting armor, making me look quite historical. But thankfully not pants like flash that make him look hysterical.